Well, markets are more cautious today. Why? Well, take your pick. There's more COVID flares up and lockdowns in China. Europe continues to worry about energy supplies and food now. Inflation is not showing signs of easing. And there's still the big question of how far the recession is going to spread. So with earnings season started and inflation numbers coming out this week, no wonder there's a lot of trepidation right now. It's Tuesday, the 12th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is now about 108.2 on the DXY. It's up another 1.1% today. Where does it end? The Aussie dollar has also seen a massive fall, losing 1.8%, around 67.35 US cents now. The pound down 1.2%. The euro down 1.4%. The euro is now so close to parity with the US dollar and the yen also down about 1% this morning. US stocks are falling. We've got 2.3% off the Nasdaq at close, 1.2% off the S&P 500. The Russell 2000 lost 2.1%. 2.1%. The Dow is down half a percent. In Europe, the Eurostox 50 was down 1%, 1.4% off the DAX. The FTSE 100, curiously flat. But have a look at China. The CSI 300 down 1.7% yesterday. The Hang Seng down 2.8%. And bond yields are falling. Nine basis points off 10-year treasuries. Back down below 3%. 10 basis points off 10-year bond yields in Germany. And oil is down as well. WTI is down 1.3%. Brent is down half a percent to uh, 106 6.5 uh, US dollars per barrel. Uh, Tapper Strickland is with me today from NAB in Sydney. So, uh, some pretty big moves this morning. Uh, more trepidation and fear, and it's a few things, isn't it? It's China, it's US CPI this week, it's earning results coming up. Everyone's just a bit nervous again. Good morning, Phil. Yes, I think that is the word of the night, is just a lot of cautiousness and a lot of nervousness. And a lot of the news that we had last week coming out of China seems to be reversed quite a lot, just given the rise in COVID-19 cases there. And I was just looking at some data a couple of hours ago and just noting that around 30 million Chinese people are now subject to enhanced restrictions due to the recent COVID-19 outbreaks. And that encompasses six cities uh, or six counties. So it does suggest that outbreak yeah. is quite well, and actually, And there's actually a lot more than that who've got partial. So 115 million is the number I saw if you include those people who've got partial lockdown. So uh, yeah, 11 cities. And uh, there was a case of 500 people trapped inside a casino in Macau uh, while well, everyone was tested. So, yeah, it's got pretty serious again, hasn't it? Oh, definitely. And we did have some pretty good data come out of China l- late last night, mm. um, the Chinese credit data. But again, to what degree can that actually get any traction in the near term if you are, are running a zero COVID policy and you have to keep shutting down various areas of your economy as you get uh, COVID cases uh, coming up. So I think markets are becoming increasingly sceptical about the ability of the Chinese government to actually stimulate their economy f- for as long as they run that zero COVID policy and it's still unclear exactly when china tilts away towards living with covid 19 well, that is curious isn't it those new one loans up to 2.8 trillion in june from less than 1.9 trillion in may i mean presumably you wouldn't be borrowing money if you were if you didn't have hope for future growth and getting returns from it unless you're borrowing to survive so uh, you know it was a curious number wasn't it i Definitely. And it does suggest there could be strength in the Chinese economy in, say, six months' time. But crucially, that will depend on the sporadic COVID-19 uh, enhanced restrictions 
starting to abate. And at least at this point in time, it's very unclear when that will occur. Now, let's look at the equity markets. I mean, they are up and down, aren't they? Uh, I mean, clearly looking for direction, but it's uh, the big players in the tech space that seem to have lost overnight. Uh, so Tesla's down more than 6%. Apple's lost 1%. So is Microsoft. Uh, Amazon is down almost 3%. Meta is down 4.8%. This is all in a day. Uh, and uh, Twitter down 11% because it looks like Elon Musk is trying to pull out of that deal. So look forward to the litigation that follows that. But I mean, I guess this is uh, investors worried about corporate earnings. Although corporate earnings for the, for the tech sector uh, isn't till much later on in the month, isn't it? It's the it's the finance sector that we that we get this week. But is it? I mean, are they overvalued? If you look at the price to earnings ratio for some of these big tech companies, they are way higher than they were before the pandemic. So. 32.8 for Microsoft in Q4 last year, for example. In 2017, it was 22. Apple is at 23.6 today. At the start of 2019, it was less than 12. I mean, these uh, these valuations have just shot up over the last two years. So you can understand why there'd be a bit of caution, can't you? Oh, definitely. You can you can paint a picture of overvaluation in the equity market if you think US rates are still going to rise and that's going to crimp growth. Um just worth noting, we have seen some earnings um, over the past week. Um, it's only a small minority of companies who have reported so far um, and represents 18 companies or about 4% of the index. And uh, those companies noted that despite the headwinds, um, they had aggregate earnings growth of around 11% year on year over the past year. So it looks like at least last year's earnings um, are holding up. Um, and the other interesting aspect was that those companies were, rise, uh, were raising prices in order to offset higher costs. Um, so um, it does suggest inflation is becoming a little bit more embedded in the US economy as well. And so that may require the Fed to continue along with its aggressive path as well. But that's only a very small minority of companies. So we'll have to wait until the profit reporting season kicks off in proper later towards the end of this week to get a better gauge in terms of uh, earnings from here. Yeah, and it doesn't answer the question about whether it's going to lead to recession. If they if they are able to absorb the cost and pass it on to the consumer, is the consumer not going to have enough money to buy their stuff? And are we going to see uh, you know demand destruction as a result of that? I mean, that doesn't tell us anything, does it? Oh, indeed. Yeah, indeed. And that's that's one of the reasons why such a cautious tone has been prevalent in markets overnight is some fear that our recessionaries are, are, are building. And maybe that was built up a little bit um, from one piece of data that, that came out. So we get US retail sales on Friday. And ahead of that data, some of the large US banks report their bank card data or their credit card data. Um, and uh, two of those uh, banks are noting there's a real risk that real consumer spending declined for a second month in a row. Um, but also one bank also noted that nominal core retail sales could also decline because its card data noted a minus 0.4% month on month print. Um, so it, it does suggest, at least according to the very high frequency data, that there has been some slowing in US consumer spending, and that's feeding through to fears of recession risk. Well, uh, Joe Biden and Janet Yellen are trying to tackle the oil price problem in two different ways. So Joe Biden's going to the Middle East this week uh, to uh, to visit Saudi Arabia. I, I don't know if you were listening yesterday. I was talking about how John Williams had this uh, this uh, T-shirt that said monetary policy. It's data dependent. Uh, and I like this idea that everybody should just wear what they think on their T-shirts. I think Joe Biden should go to the Middle East with just wearing a T-shirt that just says pump more oil. Uh, whether that'll I mean, that'll save any, you know, any doubt about what he's there for. Uh, but whether he's going to be successful or not, I think that the, currently the OPEC deal is th- through to September, uh, whether they will pump more oil and whether it's actually going to make enough difference. Of course, they're having enough difficulty trying to pump the uh, the, the, the supplies that they've already c- committed to, aren't they? 
Oh, definitely. And OPEC members continue to say they don't have that much capacity to increase output. And indeed, in some of the member countries of OPEC, there's a lot of political tensions going on. Um, so it's it's not clear even when they commit to a certain level being pumped out that they can actually maintain that level, given those political tensions in a number of different countries as well. So um, it's not clear whether President Biden will be successful in uh, jawboning production higher out of OPEC. Um, But what we do know is that uh, India and China are consuming a lot of Russian oil at the moment. And uh, at least according to the data that I saw a couple of weeks back, the total um, Russian oil exports were actually higher than they were than they were in February on a monthly basis, uh, primarily because of India and China picking up the slack. Well, this is why I don't get. So Janet Yellen is heading to Asia to try and get support for this idea of putting a cap on the on the price of Russian oil. I mean, I think those people who are buying Russian oil are getting it for a song anyway, aren't they? Which is which is why they're buying it. So I'm not quite sure what she's hoping to achieve. Yes, yeah, so it doesn't look like it will be a very successful policy. It's, it, it's something basically saying... Um, you can get insurance on um, transporting Russian crude um, if there's a price cap on the amount of oil, or sorry, on the price of oil that you purchased. Um, but as you're saying, India and China have been able to buy that oil relatively anyway. Um, yeah. Okay. So exactly. this would mainly apply to any sales into Western. Uh, Western Western countries, um, and again, it's just un- unclear whether Russia would be willing to take that price cut, just given that they're actually exporting uh, more than they were in February uh, to China and India and other countries. And this is increasingly becoming the problem, isn't it? Because Russia must be looking at what's happening in the West now and thinking that uh, you know, aside from uh, the territory territory gains that he's made during the war, he's also got the West running for cover in terms of uh, trying to get energy supplies. So, for example, uh, you know, we, we know there's this big fear about whether uh, the Nord Stream pipeline, when it comes back on, whether it will come back on fully. Uh, and, you know, how is how is Europe going to cope come winter with their gas supplies already in Germany? Uh, they've got uh, rationing in places. So, for example, parts of Germany can only have a shower between 4 and 8 in the morning and between 5 and 9 in the evening. Uh, they want to, you know, get their energy reserves up for winter, but they can't do that if they're not getting it through the Nord Stream pipeline now to get those uh, those reserves up. Uh, Putin must know this, and I mean, there's there's also stories that you know he's he's aiming uh, at food supplies as well now, grain supplies. So, you know, he knows he's uh, you know he's got the upper hand on all of this. Oh, definitely. And that's part of the reason why you've seen the weakness in the euro. And when you look at the euro, it's really close to going through through parity, currently sitting at uh, 10.048. So um, almost through um, parity with the US dollar there. Uh, and just the outlook for the European economy just looks pretty dire there. As you're noting, the European gas situation doesn't look like it's going to be alleviated any time soon. And when you think about what's going on here, you're really seeing Europe who believes it's entitled to Russian gas, but then not necessarily being obliged to pay for it, and is also waging a proxy war against Russia in, in Ukraine as well. So it's it's, it's very unclear exactly um, how this progresses, but at least markets will be looking at those dates uh, between uh, July 11 and July 21, when the Nord Stream uh, gas pipeline is under annual maintenance. And then um, if you saw gas supplies coming back after July 21, then you actually may get a little bit of a relief rally as markets start to price out the very worst. Um, But if our fears um, come to fruition and for whatever reason, the amount of gas coming through that pipeline isn't the same amount 
as say it was uh, just prior to the maintenance period, then I think that would create further worries in terms of the European economy and cement the chances of a European recession in 2022. Yeah, well, I mean, that is going to be more useful. We get the, the looking at the zoo survey because that is out for today. It's looking at what confidence is. We know confidence is flagging the same, presumably, for the small business optimism survey from the NFIB in the United States as well. We know confidence is flagging. Uh, we, we can't do a lot with this data, can we, really? Uh, no, n- not at all. Um, and both of those confidence measures are expected to dive. Um, in terms of what's coming up, I'll, I'll be looking quite closely at what the Fed's barking is saying. He's, he's actually um, on a panel talking about the recession question. Um, so um, maybe that will um, um, reveal a few interesting aspects in terms of where the Fed thinks recession risk is at the moment. Um, the Fed's uh, George and Bullard made some comments on that um, overnight. And the comments the polls by, apart, weren't they? Yeah, the it seemed like it. Um, I mean, we, the, there's George talking about oversteering. Esther George talking about oversteering, and Bullard really thinking there's less chance of uh, of, of a recession. Yes, and you have to remember that uh, uh, Esther George was a dissenter um, from the last rate hike, wanted a 50 basis point rate hike instead of the, instead of the 75 basis points that the Fed did, and uh, she attributed the remarkable pace of Fed rate hikes as adding to the increase um, worries that markets have in terms of recession risk. Um, and so that was her point about oversteering. Um, so if the Fed does another 75 basis points, then maybe she will dissent again for a 50 basis point rise. Um, but also importantly, her comments um, s- um, staunched any speculation that the Fed could do a 100 basis point hike uh, on uh, in late July after the CPI figures, because there had been some worry if CPI was incredibly high that the Fed could contemplate a 100 basis point hike. So at least her comments have reduced that chances um, a little bit. But in terms of recession risk, um, most Fed speakers don't see uh, too much chance of recession and still see um, a good chance of a soft landing. Right. Okay, uh, and uh, d- d- well, on central banks, Andrew Bailey from the Bank of England is going to be talking later. We actually haven't got a clear idea, have we, of where the Bank of England is going? Are they, are they going to be a bit more hawkish? Uh, or are they going to take things calmly because they're worried about the way the economy is going? It, it looks like they're starting to steer slightly more into the hawkish stream, just according to recent comments by Bailey and from some of the other MPC members. Um, at least where market's concerned, they're pricing a 90% chance of a 50 basis point hike at the upcoming BOE meeting. So, def- uh, so definitely going more towards the hawkish stream. And there's an article in the FT talking about how higher inflation in higher inflation expectations are becoming embedded in, in business. So it was basically a question about when, when do you see inflation peaking in the UK? And some were saying not until the end of 23. Um, so it does look like the fears of inflation expectations rising is there in the UK, and that warrants a more aggressive policy response. And everyone is throwing their hat in the ring uh, to be the next Prime Minister of Great Britain, it seems. But I, I think they are hoping that they'll get it down to two uh, in the next week or two. Uh, in fact, in the, by the end of next week, I think is the hope that they'll get it down to a choice between the two and then have the vote sometime after that. But at least that'll give us an idea of uh, the attitude towards tax on that, whether they are Rishi Sunak saying we're going to keep things as they are uh, or whether they're one of the many others who are promising tax cuts if they were to, uh, if they were to get to, to sit at number 10. Oh, yeah, and that's a worry that you get a conservative leader who wants to cut taxes, add to stimulus in the economy and add to inflation pressures. Um, so mm. um, I think that's part of the reason why you've seen a bit of weakness in, in cable, although really it has m- 
moved in line with with the US dollar there. So um, cables down by 1.2%. A lot of political uncertainty at the moment and really unlikely to be resolved until that um, August, September period. Yeah, I know, exactly. Meanwhile, just treading water uh, through times like this. Uh, The NAB business survey today, of course, we can't can't say too much about it because we don't know what's in it. Uh, And Westpac's consumer confidence as well. So uh, two good reads of just how the Aussie economy is doing right now. Definitely. And uh, um, of course, those price and wage components are going to be continue to be watched closely, especially by, by Martin Place. Um, with mm. consumer confidence, um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that fall just in reaction to the higher uh, rates that we have seen over the past couple of months. All right. Very good. We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tapas. Catch you again very soon. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Let's hope Europe does sort itself out. It seems like a slow-motion train wreck at the moment, doesn't it? That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning with another one. Thanks for listening.